from baconhound.com and you're listening to off menu the podcast where i talk about food and sometimes not food with the chefs bakers restaurateurs and food producers to do all those things we love my guest on today's episode of off menu is ben chalmers chef and also, as I find out, a partner in Edmonton's Corso 32, consistently ranked among the best restaurants in Canada. When you listen to Ben speak about the care and attention to detail in the Corso kitchen, it's easy to understand just why they have the reputation they do for top quality Italian food. So follow along, we're going to find out a little bit about Ben, cabinet maker, hunter, fisherman, and pig and goat boy. What's that about? Well, let's find out. How are you doing, Ben? I'm doing good, Phil. How are you today? I'm doing pretty good. I think first things first, let's have a drink. Right. Oh, that's a good sound, right? <laughs> that's a great sound. There we go. Today we're having an Analog 78 from Phillips Brewing Company out of Victoria. It's one of my favorites. Uh, I love pretty much everything from Phillips. Have you ever had it before? I've never had this beer before, no. It's a Kolsch style, so I kind of like it. It's very similar to what Alley Cat makes now. They have one that's a Kolsch as well. Okay. Uh, I like it. It's just a nice drinking summer beer for me. So let's just start off. Give me a rundown on what exactly your role is at Corso 32. You're a chef, but what does that include? Um, it includes all of the all of the non-cooking stuff, like making the schedule, running around, shopping, doing ordering, and that kind of thing. But it also it also is, is a lot of supervising and sort of guiding, making sure quality is consistent, making some of the sugos and, and some of the meat products and the fun part, experimenting and finding new things and, and discovering new Italian dishes. Mm-hmm. That is the fun part. I know we used to run a coffee house a long time ago in kind of another life. And uh, and all the things that we did at the coffee house were our most fun parts. The stuff like schedules and staffing and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. No thanks. So uh, I'd imagine, is that one of the parts of the job that you actually like? Or is that kind of a, oh man, I can't wait to get this stuff done and I can get back to what I, I want to do? I like every aspect of it. There there definitely are some like mundane parts, but I like every aspect because it's all part of the overarching learning experience and, and it challenges you to grow in, in, in different ways. For sure. Even like doing cost analysis and stuff like that, which is completely boring. It is a, it is a, a worthwhile thing to understand and, and develop. For sure. I think it's a vital thing, especially if you're going to run a restaurant. That, yeah. That's probably got to be one of the things that contributes to restaurants failing the most, right? They haven't figured out what what is our cost to produce this? Does it make sense to do it? Yeah. Um, what was your prior history before Corso? Where else did you work and um, where did you go to school? All that good stuff. Well, I grew up in, on a little farm outside of Camrose. And then when I had moved into Camrose as a teenager, I, I worked at the Norseman Inn, which is where I like kind of made the decision that like, being a chef was something that I wanted to do. I was really inspired there by the people that worked with, uh, with me there. And then I moved to Edmonton and worked at Jack's Grill for a number of years. Oh yeah. And got a lot of inspiration from the people I worked with there, including Daniel. That's where I first met Daniel. Uh, oh, I didn't know pasta. he worked there too. And uh, we got a bond there before separating to uh, Nova Scotia for a year. And wow. just like got to see a different part of the country and, and gain some inspiration from that. And then came back to work at Corso or at Jack's Grill again, and with Daniel at DeCapo. And then 
things just kind of snowballed from there. The whole moving away to expand your culinary knowledge seems to be a really big thing for chefs. Did you really find that? Like, I mean, it's not as far out of the, it's not like you're moving to India or something. Still, it's yeah. Nova Scotia, but it's a bit of a different culture, right? Some different well, foods there. The interesting thing is, is I stopped cooking when I went there. I decided to take up cabinet making for a year. Well, <laughs> and I just gave myself a different perspective on, on, on trades and occupations. I ate a lot of food while I was there. I got to go do some fishing and just get to see the, the outdoors and, and experience a different part of the world. But yeah, it, I just always have enjoyed like building things and making things with my hands. And I just had to try doing that for a period of time. It definitely seems to me like a lot of chefs have that like to do something with their hands kind yeah. of mentality. Yeah. I don't know what it is. I mean, I, I like to cook at home. I like to not do anything with my hands because I just wreck stuff. So, I mean, as far as building stuff, ugh, I'm horrible at it. But I always find it interesting. Maybe it's got something to do with the whole hunting background as well, right? You know, you like to just get your hands dirty with, with what you're doing and feel like at the end you've kind of built something, right? You've made something. Yeah. Well, starting out, like when you're young and you grow up on a farm and you have to do all the work and you're getting your hands dirty, you kind of, you don't appreciate it as much at that point, but you learn a lot of vital skills. They just kind of, you absorb them. So. Mm -hmm. You have to build some corrals with your dad. You have to grow some gardens. You have to butcher some animals. And you learn about all of these techniques. You just, you absorb them. And then when you take yourself away from that and you kind of see this supermarket aisle packaged food system that we have in the world, it breaks your heart a little bit. And you really, you want to go back to that old way that yeah. you learned. And so that's what it, what, what it was for me. And that's what cooking kind of means to me is, is it's me showing people how I grew up in a way and, and, and that's how I can relate to them, I guess. Yeah, well, for sure. I think anybody who's really good at something has a bit of that in, in their history, right? Where they, they've got a personal connection to something and, and they use it to apply to their daily life of whatever you're doing. Uh, that's the kind of, for me, it's something that I can tell when I'm, when I'm at a restaurant, I can tell, man, this seems like something, somebody's really into this particular dish when they made it. You know, you can just tell like the qualities there, they cared about it. They thought about a lot of different details. So yeah. I think uh, a lot of that's going to come from somebody's history. It's kind of cool. I like that. And you've been at Corso how long? Uh, I've been at Corso since we, since we started the planning stages, it was almost six, almost five years ago now, maybe a little more. Yeah. And it seems like five or six years. Wow. That's a, that seems like a really long time for a chef to be at one location. It is definitely. If you're like one of those chefs, you're on a journey, you're working maybe two years at one place, two years at another place and, and picking up your skills, working around the world. But it's just become like a home for me. And it's, it's, I have a really good relationship with my business partner and we just like, we really click well. And I think that it's a positive growth. Do you have a personal favorite on the Corso menu? A personal favorite? Well, I think that the goat ricotta is, it's been on there since day one and it's every time I try it, completely composed on the Cristini, it's totally divine. Right now, we just have a new ravioli we just put on the menu and it's made from a copa di testa, which is basically like a, a Italian head cheese. And it, we've ground it up into a filling and put it in a ravioli and serve it with just some butter and sage and it's outstanding. That sounds good to me. Unfortunately, I agree on the ricotta. I've made ricotta a few times at home and it just never comes out quite as creamy and quite as good. And I, every time we go to the restaurant, I eat it. And I'm like, Why does this not taste the same as mine? This is not right. This is not cool. But that's a good thing for you guys, right? Because no matter how hard I try, I can't really recreate it at home. We always strive to put out our best product. So there has been times when maybe a batch or two gets folded into staff meal or something like that <laughs> because it didn't come out perfect. But we always will put out our best product for you to try. 
the pasta dishes at Corso are something that really stand out to me. I mean, I've had some of the entrees, but man, when I go there, I want pasta. What makes the pasta so much better at Corso than everywhere else I've had it? I don't understand that either because I make it at home and it just, uh, it's great, but it's not, it's not Corso 32 great. I think it's a combination of a few things. First of all, we so, do so many trial and error runs when we come up with a dish. We spend weeks. Um, Daniel will think of something. He'll read about something in a book. He'll, we'll talk about it. We'll, we'll do a trial run. We'll, everybody will sit around and taste it. We'll critique it unabashedly. We'll be as harsh as we can to make sure that we, we all agree with the kind of quality we want. Um, we pick the best ingredients that we can find. We use the Caputo Double Zero flour from Italy for the most part of our, our pasta. We use uh, semolina flour for our cavatelli. We just hold ourselves to a really high standard when we're making it. If it's not right, we throw a batch out and we'll start again. Or we'll staff, put in staff meal or something like that. I love, I love that attitude. And that to me, that's really obvious when we go there. Because the one thing that stands out is that everything I order, it doesn't matter what I order there. It's always top notch. There's never ever a plate that comes out of there that I've ever received anyhow that I think... Mm, this isn't really right. It's not perfect. It's always perfect. It drives me crazy. Well, to touch on the, the fact that I've been there for, for the whole five years, is a lot of our staff has been there that long. So we don't have a huge turnover. So the, the people who are making your dish for you, they're perfectionists, and they've spent five years perfecting it. So when you get to that stage and you're, you're doing that kind of repetitious work, you begin to put out consistent quality every time. And we believe more, more so than, than changing the menu every single season and, and making like really new innovative dishes. We believe in getting something that we really believe in, sticking with it and continue making it till we perfected it so that mm -hmm. customers really have that appreciation too. Yeah. And there's something nice about knowing for the most part what you're going to get when you go to a restaurant. Because I know every single time I go there, I don't know exactly what the arancini is going to be, but I know I'm getting it. Because it doesn't matter what it is. It's always really, really good. Yeah. It may change slightly seasonally, but yeah. I always get it anyway. It doesn't matter. So is there a couple of tricks that you have when you're making homemade pasta that, that are key? Or is it just a simple pasta making process kind of like everyone else is doing? Well, I don't know what everybody else is doing. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's hard to say. One of the keys is to balance your your egg white and egg yolk ratio a lot of times i feel there's a lot of pastas out there that have too high of an egg white if you have another dish that you that you love that uses egg whites get good at making that because and use all of the yolks for making the pasta mm -hmm. if you're making pasta with semolina it's uh you want to use a lot of water instead of eggs so it, it depends on on what flour you're using and you really have to like do some trials and, and manipulate it till you find out what's going to come out the nicest. One thing that I do, or I don't do, sorry, when I, when I make pasta is I get, I get a little lazy and I'm in a hurry and I want to eat right now. And so I don't fold the pasta over itself and run it through. Mm. Does that make a big difference, do you think? Yeah, it definitely can. Well, one thing that's, that I didn't mention earlier is it, if you want to have a pasta meal, it might be better to make it the night before. Make the dough the night before, leave it in the fridge. Or at least make it and let it sit on the counter for a certain amount of time so that the, the moisture content in the dough can fully absorb and bloom the flour content. Okay. Because then you're going to get more supple, velvety textures happening. And it'll just, when you do pass it through your, your pasta sheeter, it'll give it that gluten activation and that nice stretch so you have a good texture in your pasta. Obviously, you guys hand make all of your pasta at the restaurant, I assume, right? Yeah, we do. What about for the home cook? 
Uh, do you have any tips as far as how can when you go to the store, is there a brand that's better of dry pasta in the box stuff? Or yeah, definitely. I'll give you a, a few tips to look for in that pasta itself, and then I can give you the name of a couple of brands that I like to buy. Perfect. So whenever you're getting dried pasta, look at the sheen and the texture of the noodle themselves. Okay, if it's if it's really glossy, don't touch it. <laughs> what you're looking for is like a dull almost sandpaper-like texture on the outside. That means when you when you dress that in a sauce, all of those little textures are gonna hold and pick up all of the sugo or, or whatever you're, you're tossing it in, and it's gonna hold all the flavor. You wanna get something that's usually made out of either a semolina flour. Yeah, you, you definitely wanna get something that's made with, with a semolina flour if it's a dried pasta. And then two brands that I like to buy, I like the DiCecco brand is kind of the, the less expensive one that I think is a really good quality. And then there's one called Rustichella di Abruzzo, which is a really, really beautiful pasta. It's All a right. bit more expensive though. Is that, is that a typical grocery store one that I've seen? I don't recognize no, the name. So. It's, it's, you're going to have to go down to the Italian center to get it because they just have a way bigger selection of pasta than they have in the normal grocery store. And uh, I think that they just have more access to import better brands. And when you're, when you're using the dry pasta at home, do you have any tips as far as what, I know sometimes if I use a cream sauce, it gets really gummy when I put it in there. Okay. So any, any tips to maybe stop that from happening? Yeah. If the, the main way you want to develop the creamy texture in your pasta is to use the pasta water itself. So after you've, you make a, a, a sugo or, or a sauce and you have it in your pan, you want to take your pasta out of the water, um, not straining it. And dumping your water away you want to like use a use a, a one of those pasta pasta tongue yeah. i don't even know what they're called it's just like a, a a pasta claw kind of thing yeah the pasta claw there or, you go or a, just a, a scoop strainer and get it into your pan start to cook the pasta with your sauce for a little while and then add a couple ladles of the pasta water because the pasta water is seasoned with salt mm -hmm. and it has a lot of starch that the pasta released while it was cooking so when that starch goes in and you toss it together that's going to create an emulsification and give body and texture to your sauce. Perfect. So everyone's pasta at home now is going to be fantastic. <laughs> Here's a little off-the-wall question for you. What is your kitchen kryptonite as My far as like what, what, what do you mess up in the kitchen all the time? Well, full disclosure, uh, it's cooking some of the dessert products. Because yeah. <laughs> they're very, very technical and they can burn very easy. And sometimes that timing has got to be so crucial that, uh, yeah, I just forget about something. <laughs> non-food related what do you tend to do with your time off um lately well it's hunting season right now so i've been out just last weekend i was out goose and duck hunting with my dad on the farm um during the summertime i like to get out and go fishing uh, a lot of times canoeing is one of my one of my favorite hobbies and just like enjoying the natural world i guess all being, right being inside of a kitchen for for 12 hour stints five days a week really gives you a longing to get into the natural world. <laughs> I just want to get outside and do something that doesn't involve sauteing. Yeah. So basically chef slash frontiersman. Yeah, I could go with that. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, update your bio. <laughs> what else do we want to talk about? What are you passionate about? What am I passionate about? I think I'm passionate about the, the hobbies that I said I'm in, interested in in my time off. I'm passionate about being outside and, and connecting with nature. Um, and I think that that really segues into cooking because we're using natural products and putting them forward for people to enjoy. Um, I'm passionate about art. So I think that there's a, there's a connection 
for for an outlet as a chef there as well. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm also just I'm passionate about things being done properly. Um, I, I I like to look at the quality of of a product and and appreciate that somebody took time to design and make it and care about it. And I think that there's far too much um, superficiality and and convenience product out there that takes away from those beautiful things. Yeah, you are singing my song right now, I'll tell you. <laughs> I'm all about, you know, creativity is fun, but doing things, you know, when you get the basics proper, I always think the best food is the, is done by the people who have the basics done absolutely the best and they're flawless. Yeah. And then the things on top of that are just the, the icing on the cake, but if the, the basics aren't right, food's yeah. not good. Yeah, so. it, it's worthwhile to put in the time to learn the fundamentals, I For think, sure. and then build and become artistic on top of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to give you a chance to give a little shout out to a few places in Edmonton that you like to eat, you know, food trucks or restaurants or... Uh, yeah, okay, well, if for restaurants, my number one favorite place to go eat is Izakaya Tomo. I think that those guys are just making the coolest food in the city. It's the, it's the, it's so different. Um, their flavors that they, and, and combinations of textures that they use is so exotic feeling for Edmonton. And I think every time I've gone there, it's been very consistent. They do a really good job. And their sake list is really cool. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Switch Food Truck is amazing. Um, every time those guys make a sandwich, it, it knocks my socks off. I like North 53. Uh, those guys are doing a really cool job and it's a really good environment there. And of course I like going next door to Barbrico to mm-hmm. just enjoy some salumi and have a glass of wine. All right. Some of my favorites in there too. So that's kind of nice. Uh, that fried chicken at North 53 on the late night menu, man, I love that stuff and switch. I just picked switch as the top food truck in Edmonton oh, right like last week. So again, we're on the same page. It's cool. kind of nice to see one last thing I wanted to just kind of bring up with you, um, at least for this little segment anyways uh, this summer i got to go with 124 street market and do a little farm tour and your family's place was on the menu there for us to go visit so we got a little bit of wolf willow honey so can you maybe just tell us a little bit about wolf willow honey and your connection to it and and where we can get it well dad kind of retired from farming a few years back and needed a little hobby to do to help keep him busy and pay some bills so he decided to take up beekeeping and it was a pretty interesting transformation because it, it, as he studied it and, and began to understand the impact that bees have on agriculture, it really made him fall in love with these tiny little animals, you know, mm-hmm. these tiny little insects, and, uh, and, and realized that they're the most important part of agriculture because they're the pollinators and they're what helps us generate food. It helps the plants generate the, the, the food. And so he just got into it and, and is doing it as it's his like retirement hobby in a way. And it's kind of got a little bit bigger because I started bringing some honey up to the city and, and selling it to some, some restaurants and stuff like that for mm-hmm. him. He's in provisions with the Duchess right now. Okay. Um, they're selling it on their uh, shelves there. And yeah, I just, once in a while I get to go out and just participate a little bit and help dad do some of the chores and stuff on on a bee farm and it's it's just really rewarding and fun yeah it's kind of a cool little hobby too yeah it's great plus you get you get to put on the old beekeeping suit yeah and just look like the man out there and it's yeah it's a nice way to sweat out all the extra calories yeah. inside <laughs> your body on a nice hot day yeah burn off all that pasta yeah and plus honey is just beautiful to have in your coffee in the morning or yeah it's awesome that. yeah uh 
you're sitting in a house right now where my wife Robin has been having your honey in her coffee like for the last well since we went out there basically she just ran out so um, damn you for not bringing a jar with you also damn you for, don't you know that kind of the hospitality thing that you do when you come to someone's house is you bring like 30 arancini with you oh jeez so, so for next time I just, the just so you know um, that would have been a nice thing <laughs> So we're going to move into a little thing at the end here. I'm calling it the popcorn round because basically we're going to use a series of rapid fire little questions and, and hopefully rapid fire answers to get a few kernels of information from you. Okay. All right. Are you ready to roll? Are you a little nervous? Yeah, I'm totally nervous. You should be nervous. These are super <laughs> probing questions. Coffee or tea? I don't know if I, is I an really, I really like tea. I do. Uh, team summer or team winter? Ooh, I'm team autumn. What's the meal you cook most often at home? The meal most often at home. I will make myself cheese and charcuterie plates more than anything else at home. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> but eggs. I would say eggs is the thing that I cook the most at home. I, I usually eat eggs for breakfast in the morning, so yeah. Yeah, simple. They're good stuff. What's your kitchen jam? My kitchen jam? You betcha. What kind of music are you guys listening to in there? Um, I like to listen to a few podcasts, to be honest with you. Um, but we, uh, I like to put on some film scores, some classical music, something that's not too heady to think about or get you like riled up, but just soothing and keeps the peace. I was not <laughs> expecting that answer. I don't know why in my head I'm expecting, you know, like a heavy metal soundtrack or some sort. Come on. Yeah. I think that, uh, <laughs> Max Richter is a really great, um, composer to listen to. Um, but any, anything, any nice, beautiful piece of music really, really, I think it, it bolsters productivity in the kitchen. I always find it interesting what kind of music people listen to, but anyway, this is supposed to be rapid fire, <laughs> Sorry. rapid fire slash I talk too much. Favorite pizza topping. Oh, I just like the margarita pizza. That's yeah. my favorite. Yeah. Uh, what was your first job? My first job. Aside from working for my dad, uh, he had an oil field company, I worked for the Camaros auction market. I was the pig and goat guy. I would unload <laughs> all of the pigs and goats off of all of the farmers' trucks as they dropped them off at the market and then reload them to the new buyers. You know I'm changing your contact info with my phone right now to pig and goat guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> After we went to, to see you and the bees, I changed it to Ben Beeman, yeah. and now I'm changing it to pig and goat guy. Do you read online reviews? I don't. I don't really pay attention to any of the online reviews. I, I stay away from it because I just don't want that distraction uh, gnawing at my conscience. I just want to do what I like to do. Just do what you do. Know, know that you're doing what you do best and, uh, and you're doing the best that you can. Yeah. And that's good enough. Potatoes or rice? Potatoes. If you weren't a chef, you'd want to be blank. Well... Maybe maybe a professional fisherman, a professional sport fishing guide. Maybe. Oh, sport fishing! Here, I was gonna refer you back to the whole Nova Scotia days thing, but uh, nobody is better at blank than me. Oof, I I don't know. <laughs> That's too tough. So I will answer that for you, evading a question. That's yeah. your answer. Your favorite curse word. Your mom's listening. God damn. <laughs> All right, here's the really tough one to end it off on. If you were to eavesdrop, eavesdrop on a conversation about you, what would you hope to hear people saying? Uh, I guess I just would hope people say that 
that guy. I don't know. That's a tough one, right? I don't really know. Yeah. Yeah. But because <laughs> I just hope to say that they're that they're speaking well of me, obviously, and and maybe appreciate what I do. That's all. That's all. Yeah. There you go. You can't ask for any more than that. Thanks for joining me today, Ben. Great job. Cheers. Thank you. And we'll see you at Corso. Thanks for the beer. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Off Menu. You can find all the episodes on iTunes, so head over there and subscribe so you don't miss a minute. Theme music generously provided by Mrs. Glass off their self-titled album, available right now on iTunes. Go check them out.